Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So welcome back. <clears throat> so the third part, the third part of the Sunday Theotokia speaks about the mercy seat. Uh, if I could just pull up the picture. So basically the mercy seat, it's as you guys see, it's that cover with the two cherubim or the two angels that are facing each other. Alright, that's the mercy seat and it covers the ark and like we had said previously uh, on the day of atonement once a year the high priest would enter into the holy of holies and then God would appear, would appear to the high priest in the form of a blue light in between those two angels and that would be God's like apparition or God's like dwelling among men in the Old Testament. So as we've done with the first two parts, we're going to read through. Uh, we're going to read through the the part in the Theotokia, and then we'll choose for ourselves some paragraphs to uh, meditate on and benefit from. Hopefully, it says the mercy seat was overshadowed by the forged cherubim from all sides, was a symbol of God the Word who was incarnate of you without change, O undefiled. He became the purification of our sins and the forgiveness of our iniquities. And then we have the first part of the course. Following that, the two golden cherubim continually cover with their wings the mercy seat, overshadowing the place of the holy of the holies and the second tabernacle. You too, O Mary, thousands of thousands, and myriads of myriads overshadow you praising their creator who was in your womb and took our likeness without sin or alteration and before we start also I want you guys to notice that the, the church infuses a lot of education into the rituals into, into like the liturgical text this was our main means of teaching. Like, if I could just take a side note before, like a, a small pause from this. The, the typical structure of prayer in the church or in like Christianity is that we pray, all prayers are directed to God the Father. They are validated or like stamped off by the Son and the Holy Spirit does the transaction meaning or for example I ask God for forgiveness right the asking of forgiveness I'm asking God the Father for forgiveness so if I, if I go to God the Father for forgiveness well then like imagine a dialogue it's like that this dialogue doesn't actually happen but imagine it for the sake of demonstration I ask God the Father for forgiveness, so then He says, why should I? Like, what makes you worthy that I would give you forgiveness? So then I take out the blood of Christ, and I say, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? This is why at the end of, of the Our Father, we, we say, in Christ Jesus our Lord. This wasn't written in the Bible. Right? We added it. Why? Because Christ told us, uh, towards the end of His life on earth, He said, until now you have asked nothing in my name 
ask and you will receive. So this is why the church took that. And at the end of every single liturgical prayer existent in our church, always ends with, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the stamp that makes the asking valid. Or makes us deserving of, of whatever it is we're asking for. So I ask God the Father for forgiveness. He says, why? Or like, why should I? So then we say, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then he says, approved. And then the Holy Spirit takes the forgiveness from God the Father and, bring, and gives it to us. Roughly. The liturgy of... So if you realize, we have three liturgies. So St. Basil, St. Gregory, St. Cyril. The liturgy of St. Basil and St. Cyril, they address God the Father as we're used to. Or following the, the normal structure of prayer. The liturgy of St. Gregory deviates. And it follows... It, it actually it addresses the Son, which is counter what we're used to. Why? Because St. Gregory wanted to answer the, heres the heretics and wanted to answer the Arians by a prayer, by a liturgy. So the Arians that said that Christ was not equal to God the Father and He was some junior God or some creation of God, St. Gregory said, it's not enough for us to just answer the heresy, but we need to make sure this heresy never enters the church again. And this was the typical response of our, of our Holy Fathers, was to answer a heresy with a prayer, with a liturgical prayer that would last the centuries and make sure that this heresy wouldn't come again. And if you keep this in mind, this lens, then you read through the lines in the liturgy. If I could just, sorry, I'm taking a bit of time out of this, but it's to demonstrate an important point uh, as to the importance of the liturgical texts. Listen to what St. Gregory says in his liturgy. You're going to see that this isn't just normal prayer, but he's trying to make a point. So meet and write, meet and write, meet and write. We're, we're used to this from the liturgy of St. Basil. So it's that equivalent part. He says, It is fitting indeed and right that we praise you, bless you, serve you, worship you, and glorify you, the one only true God, the lover of mankind. He's addressing God the Son. He wants to make a point that he's equal to the Father and he's answering the Arians with a liturgy, not just by some letter stamped off by the Synod. He's answering with a prayer or with a liturgy. And then look at this. Ineffable, invisible, infinite, without beginning, everlasting, timeless, immeasurable, incomprehensible, unchangeable, creator of all, savior of everyone. This isn't someone who's just praying. This is someone who's making a point. And he's making a statement for all generations to come that the one that you are addressing in this prayer, he is equal to God the Father. So the church infuses the education into her prayers. And actually, the greatest seminary school is the rituals of the church. You can learn everything you need to know about theology by simply attending church. Listening and following attentively, you learn everything you need to know about theology. And the people who do this, they unconsciously know what is right from what is wrong in terms of teaching. 
So coming back now to our topic. So it says, The mercy seat was overshadowed by the four cherubim from all sides, was a symbol of God the Word, who was incarnate of you without change or undefiled. We said that, Christ, that God would appear to the high priest between the two angels, and this was God's apparition to man. So this is why the church here is saying was a symbol of God the Word. God the Word who was invisible in past times. When He was incarnate, all of a sudden He became visible. And this was what St. John said in his first epistle, that which our eyes have seen and our ears have heard and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That he who was invisible, all of a sudden became visible. In our case, it was at the hands of St. Mary. At the, ha at the hand of St. Mary, he who was invisible, born of the Father before all ages, was now made manifest to us and we beheld him. Or as St. John says in his gospel, he says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we saw him who was invisible. So what does that mean for us? Is that our mission in the world is to make God visible for those to whom he is invisible. We need to show God to the people around us by every means possible. We talked a lot in the last two sessions about living like the Christian life and being the light and proclaiming or like, uh, you know, preaching with, uh, with actions, not necessarily with words. We want to always keep in mind that we are the image of God for the world. And to be honest, if they don't see God in us, where will they see Him? St. Augustine says, and maybe most of you guys know this, uh, this saying of his. And he says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. But however, I don't want this to be taken as, okay, you just like do the nice actions and like people will come to Christ and there's no, there's no necessity to use words because that's not true either I'm sure many of us we know many atheists that are amazing people and have like the kindest heart probably even kinder hearts than people within the church so it's not just about being good people the goal of Christianity is not just to produce people that have high morals or high moral standards. That's not, our, that's not our purpose. Because if that were the purpose, well then let's be honest, I don't need the Bible. I don't need Christianity and I don't need the Bible to be a moral person. It's very easy to be a moral person. Our job or our mission is to be like Christ. We want to be like Christ. And we need to show Christ to the world. And if it's not enough for us to just um, show Christ through our actions, well then we should also carry the responsibility that it is our job also to proclaim Him. Now, this being said, this doesn't mean we need to shove Him down people's throat and like we need to say like walk around with like a big sign that says, I am Christian. But however, if we apply everything we've been talking about 
having the Holy of Holies, spending that time with Christ, and really putting, like, striving towards desiring Him and only Him, well then, whether, we, whether it's intentional or not, Christ must come up in our conversations. Like, for example, at work, um, no one believes in the religion of, like, camping. But however, like, I know this guy loves camping. Why? Because every time we talk about, like, hey, how was your weekend, whatever. Oh, yeah, I went camping. Or, like, okay, what are you doing this summer? Oh, I'm going camping. So, because he keeps telling me that he's going camping, well, I understand that he loves camping, which is great for him. But then the question comes back to us now. How many times does God come up in my conversations? Or at least how many times does He come up when people ask me what I'm doing, what are my passions in life, what are my hobbies, what do I love, what do I... Is He somewhere in the picture? Or is He being hidden somewhere in the background? Or is He someone that I'm hiding behind? It's important for us to remember that the message that we carry is not just a life-changing message. It's a life-saving message. Like, let me give you an analogy. If one day, someone comes to you and tells you the cure for cancer, you now have in your possession the cure for cancer. You tell me how long will it take before that comes up in a conversation? That you have the cure for cancer. And let's be honest, even if it doesn't come up in like the most natural way, I think most of us would make a conscious effort to bring it up. That, hey, by the way, I have the cure for cancer. Why? Because we know it's a widespread disease. We know that most people will have at least one loved one who's struggling with cancer or, or is suffering from it. So, no matter how awkward it is for us to bring it up, I, we would find some way to bring it up because what we have is a life-saving message. Even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's whatever it is, we, we have a life-saving message. Therefore, I would most definitely bring up the cure for cancer. But for some reason, when everyone is diseased with sin and diseased with all sorts of spiritual diseases, we're like, no, we don't want to force people, we don't, we don't want to impose, we don't want to. And all of a sudden, it becomes like, this whole super touchy, super political, I'm not, should I be talking about this, yes or no? But if we are living the Christian life on a day-to-day -day basis, it should be, and I say this with caution, it should be a matter of time before it comes up. Before someone recognizes that there's something in you that is not in the rest of the world. That there's something in you that's worth asking about and that's worth talking about. So being the, the visible image of God who is invisible for so many. The next point or the next paragraph we want to take, it says here, the two golden cherubim continually cover with their wings the mercy seat. Key word here is that they continually cover without tiring. I know you're going to like the... <laughs> Easiest arguments that, oh yeah, well, they're forged. Like, they don't have a problem being continual in their job, right? 
But to be continually covering with their wings the mercy seat. It means that they are continually fulfilling their mission or fulfilling their ministry. Fulfilling their purpose in life in a consistent manner. One of the keys to a successful spiritual life is consistency. Why? Consistency or commitment in any aspect of our lives shows or proves that whatever it is that we're doing is not subject to emotion. Think about it. Think of anything in life that you take very seriously. The key, or sorry, not the key. The proof that what you are doing, you are taking seriously, is that you are being consistent in it. And you do not subject that thing that you are doing to emotions. So if I take studying, imagine the student who studies when he feels like it and doesn't study when he doesn't feel like it. How, success, how successful will he be? That's exactly right. How successful of an employee would I be if I went to work when I felt like it and didn't go to work when I didn't feel like it? What kind of marriage would I have if I was loving when I felt like it and not loving when I didn't feel like it? Or if I go to the gym whenever I feel like it and I didn't go to the gym whenever I didn't feel like it? Or I maintained the diet whenever I felt like it and didn't maintain it whenever I didn't feel like it? Any of these things that we take seriously, we invest ourselves and it's a commitment in such a way that it is not subject to emotions and it is not subject to our feelings this is why the center like one of the central like uh, maybe maybe we could call it doctrine or central doctrines or central elements of orthodox spirituality is that it is not subject to feelings and this is why maybe many times and correct me Abuna if I'm wrong but many times when you come to Abuna and you'll tell them, Abuna, you know, like I, I try to pray the Agbeya, I try to pray whatever, but like I'm not feeling it. Imagine if Abuna said, okay, well, if you don't feel it, forget it. It's okay not to feel it. It's okay. Power through. The feelings are there. Like if the, the feelings are there, like they can either help us or they could drag us back. But wherever they are, is irrelevant it's irrelevant to the spiritual life ideally they would be synced and when when those times occur where the emotions are following the right direction well then yes follow it and push through and and even ex excel one of the church fathers says the when God created man the way he designed it you know uh, when God created man, we have three components. Body, soul, and spirit. Right? Body, soul, and spirit. All the emotions and feelings, they fall under the soul part. The way God had, had it in mind is that the spirit would be the leader, the soul would be subject to the spirit, and the body would be subject to the soul. This was the original design intent. This, so, sorry small difference or nuance between the soul and the spirit the spirit is that thing inside you that desires God and that desires the beyond and desires eternal life 
This is how we define the spirit. The soul is the emotions, the feelings, all of those stuff falls under the soul. So the way God designed it is that the soul would be subject to the spirit and the body would be subject to the soul. With Adam's fall, that hierarchy was inverted. And all of a sudden, the, the body became the leader. The soul became subject to the body. And the spirit became subject to the soul. And that was the epic failure of mankind. So this is why in our spiritual lives, we are striving constantly to reinvert, reinvert those three elements into the proper order, where the spirit would be the leader. Christ says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that consistency, or striving in consistency, guy, uh, contributes to the process of, of bringing back the design intent that God had in mind when He created man. So when we, whether we feel like praying or not is irrelevant. Whether we feel like reading our Bibles or not is irrelevant. Whether I feel like coming to church or not is irrelevant. We know what is correct and we strive in it. And in doing this, it is, we are telling ourselves and we are telling God that I am not in this in the short run. And I'm not in this because this is what feels right at this moment. I am committed for life. And this is why we say that love is not merely a feeling. As much as it is a decision. Love is a decision. When I chose God, and I've chosen to love God, I am telling Him that no matter how I feel, I will love you. Action. And I will strive to love you until my dying breath. If we keep this as like the slogan of our lives, be holy or die trying. Anything less is unacceptable. So he said, just to recap, was a symbol of God, the word who was incarnate of you without change or undefiled. We said that this is for us to be the image, the visible image of God for him who is invisible for so many. And, and in the case of St. Mary, through her giving birth to Christ, she made God visible uh, for us. And he was invisible for us since, um, since the beginning. And then we said the two golden cherubim continually cover with their wings the mercy seat. In our spiritual lives, this is striving towards consistency and independence from feelings or emotions. Don't be fooled. You are not your feelings. You are not your emotions. Your feelings and your emotions are not what identify you and they are not what drive you. They are there and they are to be disciplined and tamed. And they can be. They can be. It's not, it's not like we have no control over it. Just like the thought that comes into your mind, you have the option of entertaining it or dismissing it. In the same way, the feelings and emotions that you get, you have the power, by the grace of God, to either entertain it or put it aside. And the last paragraph we want to take for this part of the Theotokia, it says, You too, O Mary, 
thousands of thousands and myriads of myriads overshadow you. So whereas the, the theot- this part of the Theotokia was focused on the, on the cherubim that covered the mercy seat, we are telling St. Mary, you too, you have thousands of thousands and myriads of myriads of angels that are overshadowing you or that surround you. And for us, and for us, this is, this is being surrounded by holy friends and be, being surrounded by angelic people. To always be surround ourselves with positive influences and people that will bring us up, not people that will drag us down. Um, when we talk about friends or acquaintances or whatever like titles we give to people, like there's circles, right? So you have like the closest circle, and then like of like maybe your closest friends, your best friends, and then you have a more distant circle, which is like your friends, and then maybe you have another circle that's your co-workers, and then you have acquaintances and people on, you're like on a high buy basis with. Obviously, it would, it would not be realistic, and I would maybe argue to say it would not be correct for us to just enclose ourselves on like ourselves and, and not deal or not be with anyone or not interact or not even be friends with people like outside. Right? Even Christ said, I do not pray that you would remove them from the world, but I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. However, to each and every person to examine your inner circle, what we call the circle of influence. These are the people that you will consult with for on a, on a day-to-day basis or your or you will consult with for life decisions and how they live and how they act will affect how you live and how you act. And their opinion will affect your life decisions. These people that are in that circle must be aligned with you on your values, your principles, your priorities, your everything. These people need to strive with you on the path of holiness. And like we said in the, in the last talk, they also need to set the bar higher. They also need to set the bar higher. Higher on themselves and higher on you. Those spiritual companions, you need to surround yourself by them. King David says in one of the Psalms, he says, He who is holy, he, I will bring him to serve me. Like I, I'm paraphrasing. But in one of the Psalms, he says, He who is holy, I will bring him to serve me. I will surround myself by this type of person. And the ones that don't, the ones that don't agree with me in my way of life or or they're not walking with me, well then, I'm not saying cut them off of your life, but maybe they need to step out of that circle of influence. They need to step out of the circle of influence and that distance needs to be taken. And I know in some situations it may be very difficult. But believe me, believe me, everything that we lose for Christ, as St. Paul says, we consider as rubbish. And if, like from the previous talk, if our desire is only Him, if our desire is only Him, What else matters? If I have friends, if I don't have friends, if I have possessions, if I don't have possessions, 
I have Christ. If I have Christ, then I am winning and everyone else is losing. But the key word is that I'm filled with Christ. Surrounding myself by these positive influences and these people that inspire us, like for example in, in our lives, like Abuna John, I'm sure he often talks about Abuna Arsenios and he was like my spiritual father and he was his spiritual father. Maybe Abuna John was more fortunate that Abuna Arsenios was more in his life, like into the later uh, years of his life. Like for me, Abuna Arsenios, he passed away 2011, so I was like 23 years old and I was very fortunate and very blessed to have him for that long. But having such people in, in your life, it's, it's priceless. People that live your day-to-day -day and they are achieving what you are striving for. It's these people in it of themselves are messages of hope and messages of encouragement and messages of inspiration that yes, this is possible. And as you will see people or surround yourself by these people and be inspired by them, as you progress in that, in that way, well then you yourselves will also become inspirations for the next generations that will come up. And then when does this really start to pay off? When at the day of judgment, you, you find, pleasantly find out that you are a source of inspiration for people and you had no idea that you were an inspiration to them. But you were. And God will accredit you with that. Like in like spiritual finances, Saint Anthony today up in paradise is making interest on every monk. He's making cash on every monk. Saint Mark makes cash on every Coptic person born in the world. And Lord knows the rate at which we're increasing. But he's making cash. You're going to tell me big leagues, Mesh. Slightly smaller league and closer to our hearts, Abun Arsenius. When like his child becomes, like forgive me Father for speaking in. When his child becomes a priest and plants a church, and he disciples people. And when his other child becomes a priest, like back home in our church, and he disciples people. And when his third child becomes a priest and goes and plants another church, tub, that credit comes back to whom? And it will come back to Abun Arsenius. And the person who planted and grew Abun Arsenius, disciple of Abun Abshoi Kamil, can you imagine? But oftentimes we're, we're not thinking spiritual finances. Unfortunately, oftentimes we're stuck in this like, sorry to say like garbage, focused on the weirdest of things. Let us surround ourselves by these holy people and inspire ourselves and take courage that the path of holiness is possible and let us befriend them and just as we befriend the people down here let us befriend the people up there 
Saint Mary doesn't have to be like this distant saint. She can be wrong. And she could be the one I run to when like God is being a bit too harsh on me. And I tell her like, soften the blow please. And actually, the church teaches us to have a relationship with the saints. In the beginning of the commemoration of the saints, sorry, am I okay on time? It's okay. In the beginning of the commemoration of the saints in liturgy, it says what? Who knows it? I'll start you off. As this is, is the, the <laughs> struggle is real. As this is the command of your only begotten Son, that we partake in the commemoration of your saints. Tug, did anyone ever think of this sentence? Maybe most of us didn't remember it. But like, did anyone of us ever think of this sentence? Where did the only begotten Son command us to partake in the commemoration of his saints? When were we command? And he says, as this is the command of your only begotten Son. So by Christ himself. When did Christ himself command us to commemorate his saints? Was there a verse? I don't remember a verse. Imagine there was a verse. Please remember Ambab Shoy. In 400 years from now. Where did, he, where did he command us to commemorate? When the lady came and she poured oil on his feet. And then everyone was judging her and saying, Oh, why, why was this oil wasted? It could have been used and sold for the poor and all this funny stuff. And he says, why you bother the woman? She has done for me a good work. She has come beforehand to anoint, me, to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And the church learned from there that we are to commemorate the good works of the saints. Wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Let us live our lives so that what we do will one day be told as a memorial to us. And not, not for the sake of our glory, but for the sake of the inspiration of the, of the generations that will come, that we would bring people to Christ even after our departing from this world. Actually, uh, of uh, of a, like a, an older priest, and well, let's just leave that, and we'll open another window. Um, in Psalm 14 in the Igbeya, uh or Psalm 15 in the Bible, It's telling you the characters of those of the people who dwell in heaven. Like, so the church has put us this prayer in the prime prayer, this prayer from the Psalms, in the prime prayer so that we can have an idea what kind of person, what kind of person abides in the tabernacle. So like, suppose you're having like wicked quiet time in the morning and you're like, man, I wish I could carry this throughout my day. I wish I could abide in this holy place all day long but I'm gonna go to work and then my co-worker is gonna like 
you know, dump work on me that's theirs, and then I'm going to get angry, and then I'm going I'm to lose this, okay? So how could I abide in this holy place all day long? So the church has put us this prayer. These are the characters of those who dwell with the Lord, right? Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill. He walks uprightly, works righteously, be truth in his heart, does not backbite his tongue, nor does evil, nor does take up reproach, in whose eyes the violence honors those who fear the Lord. Want to know a really easy way? Honor those who fear the Lord. When we spend 20 minutes tonight doing veneration for St. Mary, what do you think that does for God? When I go pick up Anna from school and her teachers come up to me and tell me she was really good today. You know what she did? Some other kid tripped and fell and started crying and she helped him up and they broke their straw or something and she gave them her straw. What do you think that does to me? What do you think, right? I am like over the moon, right? What did it cost that teacher, her like, her like preschool teacher, to tell me that story. Nothing. You know? What does it cost us to spend 20 minutes doing vener like veneration for St. Mary, or St. Moses, or St. Catherine, or whatever, right? When we honor those who fear the Lord, that tickles God silly. Right? So another another like another reference. Uh, for you, but the primary reference is the one that Mark said. If you look at any of the books explaining the liturgy and so on, they will all they all make reference to the woman who uh, who anointed Jesus or washed his feet with her tears and wept with him. Thank you, everyone. And and the last point I want to bring about this, like surrounding yourself with holy friends, or at least our friendship with the saints. I want to tell you guys about something in the rituals of the church that's very cute. Um, when we when we do midnight praise, many things in midnight praises, in tune, they are consistent, and they don't change. Like for those of you who know, like there's four canticles, and these four canticles they never change tune. Like throughout the entire year, they don't change. The Theotokia, as mentioned, doesn't change tune. Many of the things don't change tune. The one and other things they change tune, but they only have like two tunes like they, it's either like joyful or annual they don't have anything in between in the church in the church you guys are paying attention because usually ritual stuff is boring but I think it's great so by extension you guys have to think it's great in the church there are five tunes ready five tunes annual advent so kiech lent palm sunday or like the in Arabic, it's called the Shanini tune, right? So the, the Palm Sunday or the victorious tune and the joyful tune. Five tunes in the church. The commemoration of the saints and the doxologies of the saints is maybe the only thing that, that, that follows these tunes. All other prayers are set in their tunes. But the, the commemoration and the doxologies of the saints, this is the one that follows all of the tunes. Why? Because there is a friendship. And there is a fellowship between the church down here and the church up there. 
So if we are in Lent and we are like depressed <laughs> because of the food and we are in like repentance mode, well then they are joining us in our repentance. If we are celebrating Christ's ent entry into Jerusalem with the victorious tune, they are joining us in this victorious mood. If we are joyful at the resurrection, at the nativity, at any one of the 16 feasts of the church, well then they are joyful with us. That friendship is crucial. Crucial for the spiritual life and the church fathers have put an honest effort into making sure that that's there. Part of the reason why we pray for the departed. Why do you think? One, it's a declaration of faith that we believe that those who have, those who have passed on are alive. Why would I pray for someone who's been annihilated and is non-existent anymore? I, it is my obligation to pray for them. Yeah, but you're going to tell me, yeah, okay, so you're telling me I need to pray for St. Mary, okay. Well, the simplest commandment about having a relationship with the saints, either here or up there, is the commandment coming from St. James that says, pray for one another. So imagine this, look at, look at our church. Like, our mom is, is very cute. She's very cute. So our church is like, okay, well, I need to pray for these saints, but it's like, how am I going to do this? Like, what am I going to pray for, for like St. Mary? Like, literally, like, what am I going to, please God, please give her another crown. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? So what does the church do? And actually, I was very happy Abuna said it this morning in the commemoration of the saints. The liturgy of Saint Cyril at the end. So it says here, so this is the commercial of the saints, right? It says, Our fathers, brethren, who have fallen asleep, whose souls you have taken, repose them, remembering also the saints who have pleased you since the beginning, our holy fathers. And then it starts to name people. So basically, the only thing we found to like pray for them is we tell God, please remember them. Right? Although like, please God, remember your mom. Like, right? So even the church herself feels almost inadequate but wants to respect the commandment that says pray for one another so what does she say at the end after she's mentioned all the names she's like please God like remember them but then at the end it says not that we are worthy O master to intercede for the blessedness of those who are there like doesn't make any sense but rather they are the ones standing before the tribunal of your only begotten son that they may be inter interceding instead for our poverty and our frailty like God, you ask me to pray for others, I'm going to pray for others. I'm praying for St. Mary, and I'm praying for St. John the Baptist, St. John Chrysostom, and all the patriarchs. I'm praying for them. I hope they're having the time of their lives. <laughs> no. <laughs> but let's, at the end, not that I'm the one who's going to pray for them, but no, no. Like, you guys should be the ones praying for us. But there's a relationship between the struggling church and the victorious church. So that... Pay attention to this, so that, okay, good, everyone's paying attention. So that, as it was, so shall it be from generation to generation. That as those have passed on and we pray for them, one day we will pass on and people will pray for us. And this was the intent of God from generation to generation. That we would always maintain these holy friendships. 
and I'm sure none of us will lack stories of friendship with the saints especially Coptic Orthodox people <laughs> like hands down we have saints down like the back of our hands like there are our best friends and like Tant who is like best friends with Pope Carolos like literally she's best friends with him so my prayer for you guys and for me I'm just gonna do a quick recap of the three elements regarding the mercy seat so he said was a symbol of God the word who was incarnate of you without change pointing to us to constantly be the, visi the visibility of God for those to whom God is invisible we said the two golden cherubim continually cover with their wings the mercy seat striving for consistency to strive for consistency in the spiritual life regardless of the emotions regardless of the life circumstances there was one saying I had read it said pray hardest when it is hardest to pray that's a t-shirt slogan right there T-shirt theology. T-shirt theology. Pray hardest when it is hardest to pray. And the last one, you too, O Mary, thousands of thousands and myriads and myriads overshadow you. Let us also have thousands of thousands and myriads and myriads of holy friends surrounding us that together we may attain our life mission. <laughs>